Hi, I'm Sam Tucker from the radio show Food for Thought about veganism and animal rights. You can find me at ffttradio.wordpress.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another fine episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Stephen Fry and the Good Family. This episode, The Good Family, King of the Hill, The Simpsons, Atlas Shrugged, and Stephen Fry all have something in common. They were subjects of episode 59 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I'm sure Mr. Fry will put that one on his CV. And about Atlas Shrugged, I've always been a favourite podcast of the teabagger movement. Today, I'd like to tie some more threads of pop culture together in an attempt to sew a vegan t-shirt from the scraps. To finish off a story from last episode, and because my angry right-wing friends have short attention spans, I'll let Atlas shrug and go on strike right now. Hey, that ties in with Bill Maher's show, Real Time with Bill Maher. Atlas shrugged, Ayn Rand, they wrote about the smart, hard-working, inventive, creative, and absolutely essential people of America going on strike. And look, Sarah Palin quit again. She's a true believer in objectivism. New rule, Sarah Palin has to finish something other than her pregnancies. <laughs> After bouncing between five different colleges and not finishing her term as governor, this week Sarah Palin quit halfway through her bus tour, which you can read all about in her new book, It Takes a... Ah, oh, it. <laughs> Atlas Shrugged was published in 1957, yet has some inklings of veganism within, promoted by those nutty sociologists. A world where those damn socialists with their highways and hospitals and education systems have run amok. Blame it all on sociologists and their soybeans. She said nothing when James Taggart announced to her that he was issuing an order to discontinue all dining cars on Taggart trains. We can't afford it any longer, he explained. We've always lost money on those goddamn diners. And when there's no food to get, when restaurants are closing because they can't grab hold of a pound of horse meat anywhere, how can railroads be expected to do it? Why in hell should we have to feed the passengers anyway? They're lucky if we give them transportation. They travel in cattle cars if necessary. Let them pack their own box lunches. What do we care? They've got no other trains to take. The telephone on her desk had become not a voice of business, but an alarm siren for the desperate appeals of disaster. Miss Taggart, we have no copper wire. Nails, Miss Taggart, plain nails. Could you tell somebody to send us a keg of nails? Can you find any paint, Miss Taggart? Any sort of waterproof paint anywhere? But $30 million of subsidy money from Washington had been plowed into Project Soybean, an enormous acreage in Louisiana where a harvest of soybeans was ripening, as advocated and organized by Emma Chalmers for the purpose of reconditioning the dietary habits of the nation. Emma Chalmers, better known as Kip's Ma, was an old sociologist who had hung about Washington for years, as other women of her age and type hang about bar rooms. For some reason which nobody could define, the death of her son in the tunnel catastrophe 
had given her in Washington an aura of martyrdom, heightened by her recent conversion to Buddhism. The soy bean is a much more sturdy, nutritious, and economical plant than all the extravagant foods which our wasteful, self-indulgent diet has conditioned us to expect, Kip's ma had said over the radio. Her voice always sounded as if it were falling in drops, not of water, but of mayonnaise. Soybeans make an excellent substitute for bread, meat, cereals, and coffee, and if all of us were compelled to adopt soybeans as our staple diet, it would solve the national food crisis and make it possible to feed more people the greatest food for the greatest number, that's my slogan. At a time of desperate public need, it's our duty to sacrifice our luxurious tastes and eat our way back to prosperity by adapting ourselves to the simple, wholesome foodstuff on which the peoples of the Orient have so nobly subsisted for centuries. There's a great deal that we could learn from the peoples of the Orient. Copper tubing, Miss Taggart. Could you get some copper tubing for us somewhere? The voices were pleading over her telephone. Rail spikes, Miss Taggart. Screwdrivers, Miss Taggart. Light bulbs, Miss Taggart. There's no electric light bulbs to be had anywhere within 200 miles of us. But $5 million was being spent by the Office of Morale Conditioning on the People's Opera Company, which traveled through the country giving free performances to people who, on one meal a day, could not afford the energy to walk to the opera house. $7 million had been granted to a psychologist in charge of a project to solve the world crisis by research into the nature of brother love. $10 million had been granted to the manufacturer of a new electronic cigarette lighter. But there were no cigarettes in the shops of the country. There were flashlights on the market, but no batteries. There were radios, but no tubes. There were cameras, but no film. The production of airplanes had been declared temporarily suspended. Air travel for private purposes had been forbidden and reserved exclusively for missions of public need. An industrialist traveling to save his factory was not considered as publicly needed and could not get aboard a plane. An official traveling to collect taxes was and could. People are stealing nuts and bolts out of rail plates, Miss Taggart, stealing them at night and our stock is running out. The division storehouse is bare. What are we to do, Miss Taggart? but a supercolor four-foot-screen television set was being erected for tourists in a people's park in Washington. Four feet? How? My computer screen's almost two. And a super-cyclotron for the study of cosmic rays was being erected at the State Science Institute to be completed in ten years. A matter of opinion whether wheat is essential to a nation's welfare. There are those of more progressive views who feel that the soybean is perhaps of far greater value and then by noon, she stood in the middle of her office knowing that the freight cars intended for the wheat of Minnesota had been sent instead to carry the soybeans from the Louisiana swamps of Kipps Ma's project. By Wesley Mooch, demanded the immediate release of the freight cars held in the service of Kipps Ma. But by that time it was too late. Ma's freight cars were in California, where the soybeans had been sent to a progressive concern made up of sociologists preaching the cult of Oriental austerity and of businessmen formerly in the numbers racket. In Minnesota, farmers were setting fire to their own farms. They were demolishing grain elevators in the homes of county officials. They were fighting along the track of the railroad, some to tear it up, some to defend it with their lives. And with no goal to reach save violence, they were dying in the streets of gutted towns. 
and in the silent gullies of a roadless night. Yes, the soybean will be the death of us all. That's what happens when the vegans try and take over. We'll all end up naked, no clothes, no medicine if we don't set cats on fire and swing them by their flaming tails. It's vital medical research, you know. We'll all be out there trying to steal nuts and bolts from the railway tracks. And it's all because of those vegan sociologists and their soybeans. Imagine if we could write a right-wing novel, all three pages of it, and get all those American dudes with the cardboard signs, Obama is the socialist Nazi, on our side. There'd be great advocates for veganism. Can't you just imagine them all, all gently demanding action from the president through creatively spelled, non-violently held little signs? I'll get to work on the book right away. Now to step down off my high vegan horse equivalent, Let's dumb down the rest of the show, starting with this chap, Mr. Stephen Fry. In all seriousness, these clips are from Stephen Fry in America. It's hilarious viewing. The world's smartest man drives a US legal English taxi cab through every American state, interviewing the locals. It really is Borat slash LEG level material. I feel like they weren't in on the joke. He's so polite, all British and everything and the rural folk drawl out some kind of message about their local activities, drinking gin, playing the banjo, and complimenting strangers on their pretty mouths. I'm quite sure they disagree with Mr. Fry politically, but just the patterns of their speech is amazingly different, with him saying, Oh my word, and great heavens, and Oscar Wilde described the majesty of, all the time, to which they reply, Yep, she's pretty big, all right. I hero-worship the man, not only because he seems to carry around four iPhones, seriously, that Apple pay him to talk about Apple gear, but the fact that he's visited my city of Invercargill, not a town, we're a city of 50,000, for another documentary series, Last Chance to See, about endangered species. Invercargill is New Zealand's most southerly town, and it's our jumping off point from the mainland. At last, I'm to be allowed to get to grips with the kakapo. But first, there's the small matter of the quarantine procedures. Right, quarantine store clean area. Wow. Huh. It's, it's a warehouse. It is. I suppose this is where we... Oh, hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, just. OK? Yeah. Blimey. Feels like we're about to go up on an Apollo rocket, doesn't it's it? Something Onto like that. The moon. Yeah. We've just come back from the moon or something. It's so pristine. It's extraordinary. Just standard entry to New Zealand protocol, Mr. Fry. Our airlocks are a little different at first. Got to keep that artificial gravity down here, you know. That building is a stone's throw away from where I live, the Invercargill Quarantine Centre for our Department of Killing Non-Native Animals. Sorry, I mean Department of Conservation and it was all about meeting the kākāpō, one of our lovely native birds. We're not, as it happens, preparing for a flight into space. Instead, we've been told to wash all our belongings in a vile disinfectant. It's like registering at a prison, you know, you're sort of carrying your stuff, you have to bend over with Is a it? torch poked up as next. The Kakapo are now confined to two tiny islands in the south, but before we meet them, we need to get to grips with what makes them and New Zealand so extraordinary. 
New Zealand is the world capital of flightless birds. We have basically no native mammals in New Zealand. A country of insects and birds, really. The country has always been safe and gentle and soft. There was no need for the birds to fly away from danger, because there wasn't any. This contrasts a hell of a lot with our big brother Australia, where every plant is venomous, poisonous, toxic, spits acid, carnivorous, suited for a desert climate, and has thorns on every part of its surface. And forget about what passes for native animals over in that crazy country. There are a million native animals capable of hurting, or actually killing you. Animals that actively seek out and kill human beings. We have pretty much one little non-native spider. And guess where they came from? Australia. Thanks for the hand-me-downs, big brother. And Stephen Fry in America, he has a series of wild adventures with the wild folk who live by killing other animals. It's interesting. He wanted to go out hunting, but he didn't want to see a deer hurt or killed. So they're bedded right now, and we're going to jump them right out of their nice warm bed. You wouldn't mind if I said to you, shall we shoot the deer in the sensor with a camera rather than with a gun? We could do that. We can let them go. Because I'm a hypocrite. I do, eat, I do <laughs> eat meat, but yeah. I'm afraid I don't think I could bear the sight of a, well, of a deer we, being killed. We, we, we can do that. I'd love to see someone speak eloquently with Stephen Fry about veganism, about respecting all other animals, chickens, pigs, cows, sheep. In Alaska, he takes a sort of noble savage approach to respecting those who live off the land. Sometimes, he over-romanticizes the traditional ways of killing other animals, though, as heard here. 20 past 8 in the evening. Yeah. And, and in the, the sun is still out. And how long will it stay light for? Right now, it stays nice and bright until October. Good Lord. And it stays bright all through the night? Yeah. So it never sets? Yeah. If it's the winter, when of course there's no sun at all, do you ever go out? You don't? Yeah. You do? Yeah. And we what, we have to, we have to go out. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter if it's day or night, you know. We, we go caribou hunting at in the in the winter and it sometimes it gets dark and do you find your way by the stars though yeah stars or gps <laughs> modern technology ye old gps they probably order pizza on their iphones too we harvest that well we uh work all night it takes about 24 hours by the time we're done with the whole whale. How do you hide the smell from the bears because they have an amazing sense of smell well that's the thing we can so they, they come to the area where we're butchering and we give them a warning. Really? We give them a warning shot, and if you don't acknowledge it, we shoot them right there to protect the rest of the people. Yeah. That's how dangerous they are. They're supernatural beings. Just one blow, it can crush your skull. Boy. Just like how they do it with the seals. Yeah. One blow. That's all it takes. Yeah. So what do you do if you don't have a rifle? Well, you hightail and run. <laughs> <laughs> on the snow machine or literally with your legs? Well, on the snow machine and boat. Yeah. Sometimes we got chased before. Right now, this is not a good time to try to harvest the whale in this condition because of the yeah. the west wind and the currents changing. I can see the white yeah, on the, on the, the horizon. It's kicking up waves, isn't it? Yeah. And the flocks of birds are coming in here. They call them eider ducks. Eider ducks? Yeah. Oh, famous for their feathers. 
making um, good quilts. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did that. They're real good eating, too. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Henry Kinyak is captain of one of Barrow's whaling boats that are allowed, by international law, to hunt the bowhead and beluga whales that cruise these Arctic seas. Inupiat people are entitled to hunt for whales, but no one else is in this area. Is that right? I think um, 10 communities that can whale. Right. Yeah. And how many are you allowed to capture in one year? Um, in one year, we can. We, they gave us 22 strikes. So it's not as if you are slaughtering huge pods of whales, no. are you? We're not. We, we don't call it slaughtering. We're 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 feeding the community. Yes. You right. know, to me, I I I I thought that my mom and my dad breded me for hunting. Yeah. When we're whaling, this is what we use. Oh my goodness. It's a whale gun. A whale gun? Is that? And, oh, and it's, it's so heavy. It weighs about 60 pounds. 60 pounds? There's a propellant charge that's a Itigaruk. What's a Itigaruk anyway? Oh. Primer, like a primer. Oh, I see. And then from there, then you got the, the shell is about this big. Oh, my goodness. What's the best part of a whale? What's the? Everything the, is the You best. love it all? Yeah. yeah. There's different ways that you can eat it. You could eat it raw, frozen. Yeah. You could cook it. You could ferment it. Really? And yeah, you, the, the fermenting is um, mikiak. Yeah. That's what they call it. Mikiak. And you let it age for about a week. All my kids love it, and me, yeah. and the whole family. Surely we can move on from all that. Killing other animals seems so awful, so old-fashioned, huddled over fires for warmth killing other natural animals who've evolved for millions of years to live there? It's almost like we are not meant to live there, right? Let's all be vegan and, and avoid all that blood, the fat, guts, being attacked by supernatural animals. Watching the Dog of Death episode of The Simpsons, I came across this clip. Good news, Mr. Danielson. We saved your gamecock, but I'm afraid he'll never fight again. That's what you think. He'll fight and he'll win. The same episode considered damn a swear word, but darn was okay. Evidently, in early 90s animated comedies, making roosters fight to the death was okay too. Perhaps we see a difference between making roosters fight and making dogs fight. The vast, vast majority of us eat killed chickens each and every day, but we genuinely think it's wrong to kick a dog, much less seriously hurt or kill them. The Simpsons also has this amazing clip, featuring Mr. Burns, who seems to admit we steal honey from hard-working animals. This is from the Land of Chocolate episode, where he sells the nuclear plant to the Germans. That's right. Gather the nectar, my little drones, and make the honey. Honey for your children. Fools! <laughs> Ready for that drink, sir? Just a second, Smithies. Let me introduce you to the gang. That's Buzz. That's Honey. And you see that queen over there? Her name is Smithers. <laughs> That's very flattering, sir, but we should go. Several bees are stinging me. The bees are fighting back, huh? Almost like they don't like having their hard-earned honey taken away from them by force. Mr. Burns also teaches us about recycling, or so-called recycling, and greenwashing, pretending anything is good for the planet, in order to make money. Yes, thank you everyone, but 
10% of your applause should go to my little partner, Lisa Simpson. For if it were not for her infectious moralizing, we would not be here today to witness the unveiling of the Lil' Lisa Recycling Planet. Oh, ain't that cute? Makes Lil' Debbie look like a pile of puke. Would you like to be the first to take a tour of the plant, Lil' Lisa? I'd love to, partner. The whole plant is environmentally sound. It's powered by old newspapers, the machinery is made entirely of used cans, and the windows are from the old liquor bottles we collected. Hey! I thought I told you to stop licking my windows. I know, you told me. And when I woke up this morning, I said, Marty, you're not going to lick that I'm so proud of you, Mr. Burns. You're getting your fortune back, and you're doing it without endangering the planet or cozying up to the Aspen crowd. Oh, hold your accolades to the end of the tour. You haven't seen the best part. I couldn't watch your demonstration of the fish caught in the plastic rings without getting an idea. Look out over the water. I figured if one six-pack holder will catch one fish, a million sewn together will catch a million fish. Watch. What's going on? <laughs> I call it the Burns Omni-Net. It sweeps the sea clean. Oh, dear God. I call our product Little Lisa's patented animal slurry. It's a high-protein feed for farm animals, insulation for low-income housing, a powerful explosive, and a top-notch engine coolant. And best of all, it's made from 100% recycled animals. Mm, I think I'm gonna be sick. Oh, a spoonful of slurry will cure what ails ya. Oh, you haven't changed at all. You're still evil, and when you're trying to be good, you're even more evil. I don't understand. Pigs need food, engines need coolant, Dynamiters need dynamite. I'm supplying it to them at a tidy profit, and not a single sea creature was wasted. You inspired it all, little Lisa. Stop! Don't recycle! It's murder! You're helping Mr. Burns! But you told us to recycle. You convinced us it was good. I can't get the smell of slurry out of my clothes. Oh, a fool to help that horrible old man. Oh, I hope you learned your lesson, Lisa. Never help anyone. I'd like this episode to be about other messages from cartoons, mainly the good family. It sounds like a dream came true, a mainstream cartoon, written and voiced by Mike Judge, creator of, well, King of the Hill, Office Space, Idiocracy, and it's all about a family of vegans. Well, it sounded too good to be true. It is incredible, let's face it. The show is from 2009. It lasted one season, apparently ending with poor ratings. It's ahead of its time, you could say. It might have been hard to find an audience. The family are all hyper-liberal. They like cycling and organic gardening. They take showers outside, powered by rainwater. 
They have animal rights stickers all over their hybrid car. They're always concerned about the rainforest and what's going on elsewhere on the planet. They are vegan. It's also used as a bad thing, though, because we're not yet ready for fairly normal sort of cartoon characters who, oh yeah, just happened to all be vegan. They had to be over the top. Like, the father Gerald is whiny and pathetic, not to mention physically weak. He is near useless at anything. He doesn't live in the real world. They have a vegan dog, Wow, Che. And as Wikipedia describes, the goods feed him vegan food which he hates. He craves meat and often eats neighbourhood animals and pets. As a consequence, missing flyers of neighbourhood pets blanket street poles. Many scenes show Che being fed some green slop that resembles radioactive waste. They say, oh, but Che is a good dog. He doesn't want to hurt anyone, do you, boy? Here, Che, have your healthy, nutritious vegan food. While he looks and whines with a main human character saying something like, Oh, poor Che. He feels he shouldn't eat while so many on the other side of the world are starving. What a considerate dog you are, Che. While the dog looks out the window at the neighbours having a non-vegan barbecue, and his tongue drops out, his eyes roll back, he goes nuts trying desperately to get outside and eat the dead flesh. There really is a strong message of, vegans are whiny, unrealistic, and force their veganism, a weird cult diet on everyone else, including pets, who are not meant to be vegan, you know. They didn't evolve for that. They were intelligently designed by Jesus to be referred to as its, to serve their masters, us. The good family are also shown trying to fit in with the latest trends and to flaunt how caring they are. They try and keep up with the Joneses, out organically green their friends. They go to a version of Whole Foods called One Earth, where a giant billboard, the big board, keeps track of what's in and what's out, with things like farm-raised catfish constantly flickering between a good thing and a bad thing. The entire store is not vegan. Here are the very first speaking lines from the first episode of The Good Family, our introduction to the show. Look who's got elephant dung. They were just giving it away at the circus. The circus? They exploit animals and hairy ladies. But it is for an organic garden. Being good is so hard. And that's basically the theme of the show. They're over the top, they're whiny, they use words like exploitation, which is apparently radical. And um, it's very difficult, obviously, and uh, apparently, to be vegan. They wanted to adopt a starving African child, out of the goodness of their hearts, of course. Let's hear how that turned out. It'll be 16 years since we welcomed you into our lives. We wanted to do our part to fight racism and inequality in the world, so we adopted an African baby. Turns out we forgot to check a box, and we got you from South Africa. But we showed that with a lot of love and a little guidance, the offspring of two criminal racist Afrikaners could become a gentle, socially conscious young man. Yeah. So, Ubuntu, the big 16. What do you want for your birthday? I want to drive. Another driver? W-W-A-G-D, what would Al Gore do? Now, Ubuntu, with greater emissions comes greater responsibility. I don't get to drive? Oh, man. How is this for a compromise? Ubuntu can get his license, but he can only drive in an emergency. 
Well, I guess, but only for emergencies. Sure, emergencies, fine. Come on, tornado that doesn't hurt any people or animals. The joke is that the rest of the family are thin, obviously pathetic, while Ubuntu is a massive brute picked for the American football team who dreams of using heavy machinery, forklifts, etc., while still caring about the world. I guess it's a good thing. It shows that the biological good family are not pathetically weak because of veganism, but because that's their genes, while Ubuntu, who is a full member of the family and just as caring, turns out to be physically huge. Come on, fantastic. He, he's not one of them. Well, he sure looks like one of them. Oh, my biological parents were racist Afrikaner criminals, but then they adopted me, so it's all been squared away. More clips from the first episode. Being in high school, I'm a vegan for God's sakes. I've reached my weirdo tipping point. The granddad is the sort of Sarah Palin character. He drives a huge vehicle, is politically incorrect and non-vegan. He says all those, but if God didn't mean for us to eat animals, why'd Jesus make them out of the meats? Type comments. Which are meant to be hilarious, remember. As vegans, we have to, ha ha ha, that is a very good one. You are so clever. How did you think of that by yourself? Boy, you sure have me beat, etc. Of course, there God made pigs and cows and sheep out of meat for us to eat. But cats and dogs? Well, there, they're not for us to eat. They're not made out of the meat. No, sir. No way. A vegan dinner for my grandson's birthday? You deserve steaks and strippers. Come on, you Bantu, I'm buying. Meat's murder. No, son, meat is yummy. Come on, let's roll. I got nine extra seats in the SUV if you want to stretch out. Where do I begin, Dad? Ah, uh, okay, happy birthday. Sayonara. Well, then, that leaves an extra veggie roll for Che. Che, here, boy. Where is Che? While Gerald, the vegan father, is presumably unmanly for caring too much. <sighs> I got passed over for the bike project. It's so frustrating. Nobody takes me seriously. Huh. Maybe you should have put on your business leotard. Honey, just sit down and breathe deep. I know what will make you feel better. And for the cost of just one large frozen cappuccino a day with three shots of espresso and a croissant, you can support public broadcast radio. Ah, <sighs> pledge drive. Reusable bags are a big deal at the One Earth store. $46.57. Here's $150. Do you have reusable bags? No. Well, I mean, yes, of course. Just not with me now. Right. Do you want to buy one? It's for the Earth. I see. So what will it be? Paper or plastic? Nothing. Load me up. I know a lot of people are comfortable shopping with reusable bags, but I'm not. They're made in sweatshops. When Helen, the good family mother, is banned from One Earth, she has to go to Save Big, 
The Walmart, or Megalomart from King of the Hill, equivalent. It drives her nuts. You're gonna love Save Big's produce section. Everything's half the price, twice the size, and just as good. Yeah, yeah, everything's just as good. Let's get this over with. The vegan adult male was shown as useless while cleaning his little bicycle. Give it up, good. This chamois will make that bike shine as bright as the rhinestones on Waylon Jennings' coffin. Ray, I could never justify using tanned animal hide in order to clean my bicycle. Oh, my goodness. Yep, being vegan's about being vain and shallow and it costs five times as much and it's impossible and we're hypocrites and it doesn't work and it's really difficult. In this clip, with the idea of vegan stew being used as a joke. Fine, Helen. I'm going to convince them that cleaning up the highway is in everyone's best interest. How? Skinheads aren't exactly known for their ability to reason. I'm just going to have to use a carrot and a stick, as barbaric as that sounds. My vegan stew will soften them up, and then my firm but fair rhetoric will knock them down. This clip ends with a Hank Hill-esque noise, showing how Mike Judge voices both characters. Now, hold on. Have you guys learned nothing from the jar? Just by recycling for the past seven years, we almost have enough for our eco-cruise. Six days and five nights of being on the open seas harassing fishing boats. What's the point? Might as well eat meat and flush toilet. <laughs> That's how well Sea Shepherd have become in pop culture. Those people who go out there and beat up slash annoy hard-working people. I'd like to show a comparison, and how violent groups have been portrayed in both King of the Hill, and now The Good Family. I think it's very bad for vegans if this, they're all either whiny and pathetic, or drop-out thugs who beat hard-working people up. Duality is how we're thought of by the non-vegan majority. Here are an environmental group in King of the Hill first. Listen to the voice of the main character, Hang Kill. A car dealer had been ripping off Hank Hill, making him pay too much for cars, and a local no-good person gets angry at them as well for having SUVs. Ain't it the truth? Yes, it is. And I'm telling you right now, that Tom Hammond has got to be stopped. I know! I did a whole term paper on the damage people like Tom Hammond are doing to the world. Well, there is no way I'm letting Tom Hammond make this world a place that I don't want my son to live in. I want to join your fight. Well, all right. You can meet me at the car lot at 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? Okay. So Hank Hill's reasonable way is by going there early in the morning and putting flyers on all the windscreens of the cars saying that the guy's going to rip you off. Although, the environmental group, uh, they're a little bit more extreme. Hey! Uh. It's me, Alex from the copy store! Who's that? And why are they crawling? That's Falcon and Sparrow, my friends. Man, we're so stoked! We had so much fun coming up with code names last night. It feels so good to finally be doing something. Well, that's right, it sure does. Would have been better if you guys had been on time, though. Now I've got to go get ready for work. We weren't late. We're hitting the other side of the dealership. Oh, well, that's great. Well, I guess our work here is done. If you guys ever need any propane, look me up. Propane? Oh, that would have been great. Well, next time, 
So environmental groups and vegans are violent and crazy and wacky and radical. And now, for the good family. Pay attention to the main character Gerald's voice. Mike Judge, creator, does both Hank and Gerald. Here, an environmental group take a shine to Ubuntu. They praise him a lot while he helps them grow plants and uh, do other things eventually. Ubuntu, you are unreal. Is there anything you can't do? Hmm. I can't read when we drive because I get car sick. Uh, I can't be president for a number of reasons. <laughs> Once in a great while, I see someone who's got what it takes to really make a difference in the world. I'm proud to have you in my troop. Will you read me a story? Son, we're gonna live one. Alright, let's get started. Project Greenfire. This is the Road Rager. It consumes more fuel and emits more toxins than any SUV on the road. This is their new dealership right here in Greenville. We're gonna blow it up. Any questions? Um, will there be running involved? Because I'm wearing sandals. Uh, bad news. It's Rick. What now? Is he skipping out to be in another freaking improv show? He said that it was his passion and that he had to make it his priority. This is why I tell you people when you join an echo terror group, it's a commitment for life! Now we have no wheel man. That's the riskiest job. He's the last man out. It's already 4.30. Damn it! What are we gonna do? Guess who they pick. Peter! Oh, thank goodness you're all right. What are you doing with these people? Haven't we told you time and again not to be a terrorist? This isn't terrorism, Mom. It's for nature troop. Jeff, tell my parents about the project we're doing. Come on, Ubuntu. You're driving a truck full of C4 and chemical fertilizer into an SUV dealership. Do you see anything legal going on here? You lied to me, Jeff. If that's even your real name. Of course it's not my real name. Shh, listen. I'd know those sirens anywhere. It's some sort of legal authority. Ugh, fine. I'll do it myself. You don't want to do that, man. Whoa, whoa. Nobody needed to bring any black people. Calm down, dog. Don't shoot me. I'm not gonna shoot you, man. Look, I know from personal experience, violence don't solve nothing. Oh, thank God. Oh, in that case. Oh, hell! Get him! So much of the good family showed itself in the earlier show, King of the Hill. We can see the prototype characters back then. Whiny, pathetic, weak, unmasculine little nerds, with a few mentions of vegetarians throughout. The last Ed episode of King of the Hill was about judging dead cows' bodies, although a couple seasons trickled out after that one. Here's a clip from the main last episode of King of the Hill. Come on now, Bobby may have different talents than you, but one thing you all share is your love of top quality beef. I don't care about beef. I only care about winning. Dude, I'm a vegetarian. What? You guys are even weirder than Bobby let on. No wonder he wanted to quit the team. Perhaps it says something that we've moved on from vegetarians being well-known weirdo liberals in pop culture to having vegans known by the majority of people. It's progress. Certainly, it's why I get out of bed in the morning, so more people know about vegans can make fun of us instead. 
The pilot episode of King of the Hill featured the Twig Boy, the little government worker, pale, pathetic, whiny, who tried to control the hard-working average Texan guy, Hank Hill. About disciplining Hank's son Bobby, the Twig Boy character got all upset at any kind of violence, as we can see here as Hank lays down the law in return. Please, Mr. Hill, loud is not allowed. What the? Loud is not allowed? Now you listen to me, mister. I work for a living. And I mean real work, not writing down gobbledygook. I provide the people of this community with propane and propane accessories. Oh, when I think of all my hard-earned tax dollars going to pay a bunch of little twig boy bureaucrats like you, it just makes me want to... Oh, oh, God, it just... Hi. Honey... Bring me my BC headache powder and a glass of water. It's really interesting to see how far we've come. From whiny pathetic people being normal, animal eating, wearing, exploiting people, who just whine a little in King of the Hill's first episode in January 1997, to vegetarians being mentioned more and more throughout the show, which ended in 2009. With the all-vegan good family, including the unwilling dog, starting around 2009 too, just before King of the Hill finished. It goes to show veganism is becoming mainstream, when a television show, no matter how relatively unknown, with apparently low ratings, could be pitched and make it to air for a season, starring a vegan family. Yes, we were also shown as being whiny, pretentious, not really caring, shallow about our actions, not living in the real world, preachy I guess. We're getting out there, we've got our foot in the door, and while at first it really hurts having a door slammed against your foot, ow, 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 eventually your foot becomes numb, or it breaks off, one or the other. In either sense, whether we keep our foot or not, the pain goes away eventually. Let's get out there and prove that vegans are strong, healthy, caring, and mainstream. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for the show, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.co.nz If you'd like to contact me, I'd really love to hear from you. Please send me an email to jwontdart at gmail.com j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t at gmail.com I'm also on Facebook and Twitter Jordan Wyatt W-Y-A-T-T Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.